growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can find it in believing in no God. You can find it in in believing in, in some other God. You can find it in believing and by making yourself your own God. Perhaps no time in history has this deception been more successful than it is today in the world in which you and I live in. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Obviously, that's an important question to be able to answer, but there seems to be a lot of different ideas about what it means. The world has been convinced that it can find it somewhere else. It can find this life. It can find this truth. Everybody is looking for the same thing. They're just all looking in different places. And Satan has deceived the world into believing that they can have all of that without a relationship with the God who created them for the very purpose of having a relationship with Him. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Answering the question of what it means to call yourself a follower of Christ is really what the Am I series is all about. It's a look at the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In these three letters, John lays out both the characteristics and the expectations of a follower of Jesus. Three subject matters that come up over and over and over again. Truth, love, and obedience. Those are the same three ideas that keep coming up again and again and again. Today, Pastor Clay is winding up the book of 1st John. And as John closes out this first letter, he has some wise counsel for us all. Thanks for joining us. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk Message. First John, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. And with that, John's first letter to the church comes to a close. Two weeks ago, I brought this idea to you. God is life and sin is death. That was the idea that we talked about, and quite honestly, the majority, or really the whole rest of the time, focused on verses 16, 17, and 18, but let's be honest, really it focused on verse 16, that, that passage there that just is, sounds perhaps so strange to our ears. What, what is this sin not unto death? What is a sin unto death? Uh, what does this mean for me? What does it mean to pray for a person uh, that's not coming? How do I know if it's a sin not unto death? How, I don't know if it's a sin unto death. We spent the majority of time two weeks ago looking at that, 
discussing that. I laid it out for you rather systematically as I saw it and as I've studied it. And I'll remind you of what I said two weeks ago. Uh, There is uh, a wide variety of understandings and interpretations of that text. There is not a consensus in, in the evangelical world as to exactly what John is saying in that text. I gave you, as, as I answered three questions there, I gave you what I believe the text is saying, what I believe John is saying. But it is one of those uh, things that if you really, you just like, I mean, I, I really need to know what this is. Then spend the rest of your life studying it, working on it. Uh, and or uh, when you get to heaven, get in the things I need answered line uh, so that uh, God can, can get to you with that one. Okay. Because it's a, it's a lot to take in. If you weren't here for that, you can go to our website. You can watch our messages there. Uh, also, YouTube uh, or the podcast is available uh, through iTunes and probably some other ways like that. You can subscribe to those, by the way, and get them on a weekly basis if you would like. But go back and listen to that message if you're interested in, in seeing that. Today, we're going to look at the rest of the passage of the of the text here, and we're going to start with with this second idea. The first one, I just gave you a second ago. The second one is is this. Oh, that's right. I was going to give those verses, wasn't I? Lauren, you're, you're so right, Lauren. You're on top of it. I, I was just going to remind you. That's right. Let me say that. Does this cord have to be up here? I just know I'm going to trip over that thing. Uh, the, I was going to remind you that the, the main idea to keep in mind in, from that first idea we looked at two, two weeks ago, yes, you can look at verse 16 and you can try and ponder what all that is, but it's to keep in mind that in, in the end, when all is said and done, whether I understand everything about that text or not, when all is said and done, God is life and sin is death. And I, and I did want to just remind you of those verses. I showed them to you three weeks ago. And this is just three, you know, there are myriads of verses that follow along these lines, but Proverbs twelve twenty eight says, in the way of righteousness is what? life and in its pathway it, there is no death if you flip that text around then uh, you could it, it would be quite appropriate then to say in the in the way of unrighteousness uh, there would be death uh, so you can you can gather what he's saying there in uh, John 10:10 10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy i came that they may have life and have it abundantly to the full, to the full extent of what it means. And I oftentimes point out uh, this fact that he's saying that it's more than just pie in the sky by and by. Uh, and I'm not diminishing what heaven will be like. And I, but he said it's more than that. It's not just, oh, I, I can have eternal life there someday. Uh, no, Jesus died so that you and I could experience eternal life here and now, even in the midst of all the stuff that life can sometimes be. And then one more in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So uh, in the end, it's what I have to understand. Man, God is the one who provides life, physical life, this whole world that we live in, and eternal life, and sin. And, And you can just define sin as... I've defined it this way for years. I don't know that this is it's not official or anything, but I've always defined sin as saying, doing, or thinking anything that God would not. That, that pathway leads me in a direction that is not profitable for my life. Okay? 
All right, so God is life and sin is death. And then the second idea from the closing part of chapter 5 is this. God is truth and everything else is a lie. Meaning everything else that is not based or built on God's truth. God is truth and everything else is a lie. I want to read verses 19 through 21 to you again. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. John began this letter way back when, however long ago we started First John, uh, the whole letter itself, back when we started First John. John began this letter talking about truth. If you've been with us through this series, you know he talks about it a lot all the way through it. Won't surprise you that next week uh, you're going to find the same thing. But he, he talked about truth all the way through this thing. And he talked a lot, especially in that opening part of the letter, he talked a lot about the faults prophets who are wanting to bring untruth into the church. You remember us discussing that several times, that coming up, these, these false prophets, these, uh, these guys who, who wanted, to, wanted to say, yeah, Jesus, yeah, yeah, he, yeah he's the Savior, and he's a, but here's some, here's some secret knowledge that you guys don't know about. Uh, they were really kind of pioneering uh, that idea, and so uh, they they were bringing untruth into the church, and so John circles back around to it here at the very end of chapter 5. He comes back to it again. Man, this must really be important to John, the fact that he over and over again, uh, really kind of three subject matters that come up over and over and over again, and you guys could probably tell them to me if you've even listened to half of what, what I've said or what we've read here. Truth, love, and obedience. Those are the same three ideas that keep coming up again and again and again in First John. And him saying, this is how we know we're a follower of Jesus Christ. This, this is how you can know that you're in this relationship with him. Truth, love, and obedience. So he comes back around here at the end of the chapter and he comes back to this idea of truth. God is truth and everything else is a lie. And so John says there in verse 19, he, he, he says to us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now think about that for a moment. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That means that the vast majority of this world, that means that the vast majority of the seven billion people who live on this planet have been deceived into believing that they can find what they're looking for in life and in eternity, that they can find their happiness and their contentment and their peace and their joy and their purpose and their love, that they can find all of these things in anything and everything other than the one true God. The vast majority of the world's population, and I would dare say the vast majority of people you know, People you work with, people you live by, live by, people you associate with in some way or another. Uh, John says the vast majority of them are being deceived by the evil one. It is, 
It is the world in which we live, and he is leading people into this idea that they can find it in anything and everything. You can find it in anything but the one true God. You can find it in believing in no God. You can find it in in believing in in some other God. You You can find it in believing and by making yourself your own God, by living a self-absorbed, self-centered, self-focused, self-obsessed, selfie approach to life. And perhaps no time in history has this deception been more accomplished. Perhaps no time in history has this deception been more successful than it is today in the world in which you and I live in. Because the world has been convinced that it can, it, can, it can find it somewhere else. It can find this life. It can find this truth. It can somewhere, and I say this all the time, y'all, any of you that know me any length of time know I say this all the time. Everybody is looking for the same thing. Everybody is. They're just all looking in different places. And Satan has deceived the world into believing that they can have all of that without a relationship with the God who created them for the very purpose of having a relationship with him. And so John closes the letter by saying, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Because John knows, John knows that when you make truth a a moving target, when, when you believe that truth can be relative or whatever you desire it to be or whatever makes you feel best or makes you feel happier makes you feel good or or whatever that when when you come to the place where you make truth your truth what you want it to be and and what is going to make you happiest that's when you are guilty quite honestly of the worst form of idol worship that there is the worship of yourself and a person might say, what are, you, what, what are you talking about? I don't worship myself. I don't bow down to myself. I don't pray to myself. I don't burn incense to myself. I don't, I don't sing, I am an awesome God, I reign. I don't worship myself. Okay, let me ask you. When it comes to making decisions of your life, when it comes to prioritizing your time, who gets to make that decision, you or God? When it comes to the, the use of your wealth, who makes that decision, you or God? When it comes to uh, the standard of holiness that you live by, who gets to set that standard, you or God? See, I, John's just saying, hey, hey man, be careful. Watch out. Watch out because, because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. They've been deceived by the evil one. You've you got to watch out for this world in which we live. I, um, I, I told you two weeks ago, I told you the story about when I was in Africa and got to go into this hut with this family, this, this cow manure and mud hut walled house and this whole family in there and getting to share with them the, the, this grace gift of Jesus, and, I, and I, if you were here, I told you about how the, they, they made the whole family wanted to receive Christ as their Savior, and what a great time that was. I want to tell you another story about a, another time in Africa. 
It was a much different house. Perhaps by American standards, it would still be considered, eh. But by uh, African standards, it was a magnificent structure. It was a home that was uh, block-walled and plaster-covered that had an actual tin metal roof over the top of it that had real working doors and and a real kitchen had multiple bedrooms it had multiple it was two stories it, it was a it was a magnificent home and I went to visit the the gentleman who lived at that home interestingly enough he was the only person that I met with for the eight or nine or ten days I was in country he was the only person in the whole time as far as that I was going out and, and sharing with who actually spoke English spoke very good English. He spoke better English than me. He was, he, he was very, uh, he was educated. He worked for the government. Uh, he, had, he had, I think, three or four wives. I can't remember. He had several wives. And he, had a, he didn't, couldn't even tell me how many children. He said, he said, many, many children. We sat out in front of his place under this big, I think it was a banyan tree, big thing in the, in the hot uh, African sun. And we sat under this tree for a long time sharing the message of the gospel with him, the, the story of Jesus. And he was very attentive and, and listened and he was, seemed genuinely interested in talking with me and uh, hearing about all of this. And when we finished, I'll never forget what, what he said to me, and I probably have shared this with some of you before, but it came straight out of the book of Acts, one of those encounters where he said, he said, almost, Clay, almost you would persuade me to become a Christian. And the bottom line was, look at all I have. Why, why would I need anything else? I, I have a good job. I have money. I have a beautiful home. Why would I need anything else? You see, he, he bought the lie that said that he could find it in somewhere else. In Proverbs, uh, both chapter 14 and Proverbs chapter 16, it says this, There's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It seems right. It, it seems logical. It seems like this is what's going to make me happy, or this is what's going to make me content, or this is what's going to bring me joy. But John closes out his letter. He says, watch out. Watch out for idols. Watch out for it, little children. The whole world lies in deception. It's there, and it's, and it's, it's going to get you if you're not careful. It's going to lead you in a path that, that won't be profitable for your life. Listen, I, I know you guys know this. You've heard this before. But John clearly thinks it's important enough to keep reiterating this truth. You see, the world says that wealth will make you happy. That's a lie. There is no evidence whatsoever to show that wealth makes you any happier than a person that doesn't have wealth. As a matter of fact, some of the wealthiest people I have known have also been some of the most unhappy people I have ever known. What about fame? Maybe fame, maybe notoriety. That if, if people gave me accolades and want to take my picture everywhere I went, wanted my autograph, surely that would be the pinnacle of success and happiness. All you got to do is watch one episode of TMZ to find out that some of the most famous people in the world are also some of the most miserable people in the world. I saw this thing on TV the other night, I guess kind of a documentary thing about uh, Prince who died in 2016. I think it's been just about a year since he passed away. He died in 2016. Prince, who was 
by every account, a megastar, superstar, wildly famous, insanely wealthy, and again, by all accounts, totally miserable in life. One of the things that struck me, uh, that, that little bit of the piece that I watched, was a quote from Prince, where Prince said, I had no idea that being famous would make me this lonely. You see, it's the lie. It's the lie that says that you can find it in somewhere else. No, ladies and gentlemen, God is truth and everything else is a lie. And, and your life that is built on anything other than that truth is destined to crumble. A life that is built on anything other than the truth of God and the truth of his word is about as secure and about as stable as a man in a tiny ship on a giant raging sea. Tossed here, there, and everywhere. One wave this way, one wave another way. I'm up in life, I'm down in life based on my circumstances. Up, down, and quite honestly, eventually drowned in a sea of despair and disappointment and disillusionment and discouragement. Well, gee, <laughs> thanks, Captain Happy. You want to kick my puppy too? Listen, I, as a, a preacher of God's word, I am called to be a dispenser of truth. And part of the truth is that Satan has deceived the world into believing that satisfaction and peace can be found somewhere else in life. He has... He has deceived them into believing the lie. Deception is a part of the world in which we live, isn't it? Is, do, you, do you know that many, many of the animals and plants on, on this earth use deception as a way to lure in their prey? If you watch any of the football games today or tomorrow, you will see uh, plenty of deception during the course of those Games, fake a handoff and throw it deep. Fake a blitz and drop back into coverage. Most of the sports or, or games that are played involve some type of deception. Except golf. There's no deception in golf. Which must mean that it's a much more godly sport. And I'm, I'm just kidding. And then there's nothing wrong with using deception, by the way, in a game that employs deception. I'm simply pointing out that deception is part of the world in which we live. It, it, just, it just goes on. In the commercial world, in the advertising world, billions of dollars of sales are made from products. Come on. Come on. Does anybody really believe that that toy, your child just watched that commercial for, does anybody really believe that it's going to do what it just did in that commercial? I, I'm simply saying that it's part of the world in which we live in. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. They've been deceived. And, and, and it's one thing to be deceived about whether a toy actually will do what it's supposed to do. It's another thing to be deceived into, into committing your life to a life of, of self-satisfaction and self-gratification and, and, and self-chasing and never finding what God desires for us to have and offers to us absolutely freely. God is truth and everything else is a lie. And let me just say, if, 
If that were the only message that there were to deliver to you today, I know, it's pretty depressing, I know. If that were the only message there were to deliver today, quite honestly, I'd probably be looking to sell used cars if God would let me. But that's not the only message. There is another message. There is a message that is so wonderful, so profound, so beautiful, so powerful, so life-altering, so perfect that Satan has been trying to hide that message from the very beginning. And the message is this. There is hope. There's hope. There is hope for a future. There is hope for joy. There is hope for contentment and for life and peace and purpose for your life, for your children's lives. And they're deciding about their careers and who they're going to marry and all these kind of things. There is hope for all of our lives. And as crazy and quite honestly, as ridiculous as it sounds, that hope comes to us in the way that only God could bring it to us. Hope was born in a stable, was bought at the cross, and burst forth from the empty tomb. The hope of the world is Jesus. That's the message. And you and I, who perhaps have discovered that message, while Satan may at times still try and mislead us and all that kind of stuff, you and I who have discovered that message must be willing to offer that message to others. I don't know why, but when I was working on this message this acrostic for hope popped into my head. Hope, he offers people everything. He really does, ladies and gentlemen, he really does. Everything that a person could want in life can be found in a relationship with the living God. It doesn't mean life is easy. It doesn't mean life doesn't have its hardships or its tragedies or its job losses or its, its deaths or its divorces or it's, it doesn't mean life doesn't have those things in life. But what it does mean is that there's a God who walks with us through those things and empowers us to have victory and to honor him through every step of the way and to, and to have life, as Jesus put it, and to have it to the full. On the very eve of a new year, as crazy as 2017 has been, We may look back and say, that was nothing compared to 2018. I have no idea. What I do know is that the world needs hope. God is truth. In a world where truth is relative, God and His truth become a foundation that we can build our lives on. The sinking sand of moral relativism has left our culture crumbling and lives in despair. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, Satan, the world, And even our own flesh try to convince us that we can build our lives on whatever we want or think is true. But in fact, only a relationship with the true God can ever bring true peace and contentment to our lives. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? 
If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.